that, you know, the person, and even after all this teaching, it's still kind of hard to put those two words together, Holy Spirit and person, because we see him as a phenomenon. We see him as an experience. We see him as something that is emotional and sensational. But if you, if you never get the foundation of seeing him as a person, you've missed out on 90% of the Holy Spirit in your life. If you reduce, if you deduct the Holy Spirit to a Sunday morning experience or a church culture movement, you've missed 95% of who the Holy Spirit was intended to be in your life. For the Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is God who can be identified as a person. We talked about that a little bit last week. And so tonight, I want you to know the person. What do you mean? Know his presence. Know his, 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 his power, all right? Know his purpose for, for being on the earth. We'll talk about that. But then secondly, my other objective is that you know uh, not just the person of the Holy Spirit. I'd like, for you to know, I'd like for you to know the power of the Holy Spirit. I'd like for you to function, fully function as a child of God every day of how children of God should act, what their conduct, what their behavior, what their performance should be because of the Holy Spirit. So it's not enough to know who he is, but I want you to know what he does. I'll say that again. I want you to know who he is, but I'd also feel like you to know what he does. Because if you find out who he is, you can walk just like him. If you find out what he does, you can perform. Can I use the word perform tonight in the church? Is that all right? Can I use the word perform in the church, all right? You can practice. You can perform. Here's another life word I like with P's. Uh, you can produce. You can produce. Everybody okay so far? You can produce. Why is that important? We won't have time to turn to the New Testament tonight, but John 15, Jesus himself gives expectation of what happens when the Holy Spirit comes on a person. Two things ring in my mind in John 15, fruit and friends, fruit and friends. When you are filled with the Holy Spirit, you ought to be able to bear fruit, and you ought to have some friends. <laughs> I won't have time to turn it. Don't, hey, don't tempt me. Do not tempt me. and Do not lure me to John 15, all right? But Jesus makes it very clear. I am the, the, the vine. You are the branch, all right? Uh, listen, uh, uh, I, you didn't call me, but I called you, and I ordained you. And ordained you that you'd have some fruit. Results. So uh, can I talk tonight just for a little bit without deviating too bad? If you're in the church and you're not producing some fruit or you're not creating some results, uh, who, who guarantees that you're in the will of God? It certainly can't be your attire. It certainly can't be where you sit in the church. He says, fruit and friends. Number two, uh, not only should Holy Spirit feel people bear results in fruit, they ought to be able to have some friends. Jesus said, I no longer call you servants, but I call you my friends. Now, if he could humble himself, who's all God, by the way, and call each other friends, uh, ask your neighbor next, neighbor, are you my friend? Are you my friend? Would you call me? Would you consider me and call me your friend? And so, and so I want you to know who he is, and I want you to know what he does. I've said it time and time again, it is to your advantage that you take advantage of your greatest advantage. And that is tonight, the advantage of the Holy Spirit. Uh, I wish I could poll you all. I, wish, I really wish I could poll or test or quiz you all tonight. I want to make sure you're getting this. I think I will. All right, all the Bibles are closed. All the notes are closed. Close your Bibles, close your notes. This is a pop quiz on Thursday night. All right. Now, uh, make sure you're sitting at least remotely close to your neighbor in case they cheat and look at their notes while I'm asking these questions. 
But I want you to define tonight, give me a working definition of the Holy Spirit. Give me a working definition uh, based on this teaching now, right? Not your private revelation you got 30 years ago. But based on these last few weeks of teaching, who is the Holy Spirit? Uh, oh, you're on it, I see. You're on it, I see. You're already on it, okay? The Holy Spirit is the third what? Of the triune means what? Three or Trinity, Godhead, whose chief assignment is to help. Whose chief assignment, whose complete objective. I don't know what the definition is myself. All right. Whose complete goal. Let me read it. Hold on. Hold on. All right. All right. Where are we at here? The third person of the triune God is who, 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 whose core and complete assignment is to help. Is to help. Let's keep it simple. His job is to help me. His job can help my marriage if I let him. Uh, if I let him. His job is to help me on my job if I allow him. He can help me in school if I'd welcome that. His job assignment, his number one ambition is to help the man and woman of God fulfill the call on your life. Let's try it one more time. So the Holy Spirit is the third, talk to me, the third of the triune whose complete assignment is to good. Fill in the blank. The Holy Spirit is God and he can be identified as a, okay. The Holy Spirit is an informer, an encourager, and an M. Power. The Holy Spirit can also be seen as a convictor, a comforter, and a counselor. Okay? I gave you last Thursday night four strong characteristics of the person of the Holy Spirit. Can you think about one of them? The Holy Spirit, just like a man or woman, can. He can be grieved. Number two, he can. He can be lied to. Number three, he can think. Number four, he can reveal. I think we're all convinced tonight, just like a man, just like a woman, the Holy Spirit as a person can have these characteristics. Now, uh, two things last night, I, excuse me, last Thursday, I gave you two distinctive differences from the Old Testament and the New Testament. I want to go back over those real quick, and then tonight I want to close on two dominant traits in the Old Testament of the Holy Spirit. In fact, before I do this, remember the statement I gave you last Thursday night, and that was this. The Old Testament will always conceal, or let me do it in reverse. The New Testament will always reveal what the Old Testament concealed, okay? The New Testament, i.e. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all throughout to the end of Revelation, it will always reveal, it will bring out what the Old Testament, Genesis through Malachi, concealed. Um, there are a lot of preachers who don't preach the Old Testament. I know pastors. And there are preachers, and there are theological circles that really don't emphasize a lot of the Old Testament. But there's a lot you can learn in the Old Testament. I don't want to treat the Old Testament as if it is a, it is a ungodly, uh, uh, unsanitized, or sanctified book. There's a lot we can learn in the Old Testament, even about the Holy Spirit. In fact, I'm going to show you a scripture that, you know, if you think about books in the Old Testament, preachers stay away from. I think the number one book people stay away from is the book of Job. No one likes to read the book of Job. 
Job is a self-defeating, sad story of, of hardships and pain in life. But I probably would suggest tonight you can learn more from the book of Job probably than any other book in the Old Testament. He shows you what true perseverance is about. By the way, Minister Fred McGee did a great job this past Tuesday night at our Bible study in Huntersville. Man, what an outstanding job he did. Thank you again, Minister Fred. Great teaching. Um, we were on the same page with Job chapter 1, verse 21. And, you know, Job concluded the matter and said, hey, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. Most preachers stay away from Job because they don't like the sad stories of Job. But aren't sad stories a part of our lives? Aren't hardships a part of our lives? I mean, I think I'd do you a disservice if I didn't talk about the afflictions of the righteous, the theology of pain, the theology of suffering. We, every day will not be Sunday. Every day will not be a holiday. Every day won't be just parade and popcorn and cotton candy and, oh, everyone's in love. No, there's going to be some tough times in this life. So we learn the dependency on God in tough times. We learn the sovereignty of God. And that's something that our consumerist age does not want to understand. We want to put him in a box, pull and push, move him like we want him to move, and bless us real good. And that's just not the God of the 66 books of the Bible. There is a sovereignty and a humility that comes with sovereignty that we have to understand. There will be times, and I'm kind of deviating right there, but you just kind of need to know that there are tough times in this life. But the Holy Spirit helps you if you would allow him. If you had to read his job description, if you had to know his resume, one of the chief assignments is that he is a comforter. He's a comforter. And when your prayer partner, when your spouse, when your best friend can't be there for you, have you ever thought to console the Holy Spirit? He will be the greatest security blanket. He will be that voice of reason. He will be that one who lightens the load and lifts the burden if, if you'd allow him. We've said for the last several weeks, he must be that person who is closer than any human relationship on the earth. He has to be just as real as the man or woman sitting on your row tonight. That is the goal, is to get him out of the rafters of theological dissertation. Get him out of the abyss of far-reaching theological thought and bring him to the earth and make him a part of your everyday life. That's the Holy Spirit we know. So, real quick, two facts concerning the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. If you remember last week, we gave you these two facts. Number one, the Holy Spirit indwelt in some people, but not all people of the Old Testament. We see him in the life of Joshua, Numbers 27. We see him in the life of David, 1 Samuel 16. We see him in the life of Gideon, Samson, and even Balaam who prophesied concerning Israel. But one of the distinctive traits in, that off, in, in the Old Testament was that the Holy Spirit was often specific task-oriented. The Holy Spirit, follow me, he was often identified with an assignment or a task or something in particular. In other words, he was not residential. He didn't stay for a long time. He was not relationship-oriented. In the Old Testament, he'd come on a group of 70 elders in Numbers 11. He'd come on the life of Moses. David said, God, whatever you do, don't take away the Holy Spirit from me. Even in the Old Testament, David knew that the Holy Spirit would be temporary. And we'll see time and time again when there was a specific task, 
an assignment, a job that the Holy Spirit would come. Even in Genesis, the Bible says he hovered. He hovered over the waters. When God breathed into the nostril of Adam, the Holy Spirit comes. But it was, an it was a task, an assignment. So remember last Thursday night, we gave this conclusion, all right? If the Holy Spirit could have moved so phenomenally in the Old Testament with a task, an assignment, or even an event, how much more today does he want to do great things in your life when he's permanent, when he's resident, when he's inside of you? All right? Number two, the second thought we gave last Sunday, excuse me, last Thursday night, was that the temporary, excuse me, that the holy, there was no evident relationship in the person's spiritual condition in the Old Testament. Look at Saul. You remember Saul in the Old Testament? He started off really well, but he ended up horrible. Saul really started out with good intentions, but, you know, he got jealous, got envious, came into sin, all type of stuff began to happen in his life. But we see time and time again, Saul is prophesying. But how in the world, you know, the Bible says that the gifts and the callings are without repentance. So how could Saul, who is in a backslidden, arid state, prophesy? Well, remember now, the Holy Spirit was inside of Saul. He wasn't resident. It wasn't relationship conditioned. The Holy Spirit was on top of him. And, you know, it might even explain, oh, gosh, I hope I don't get in too much trouble when I say this. But I wonder, are there some trappings? And I wonder, is there still some residue even today of how sometimes the Holy Spirit, God uses the Holy Spirit for the purpose of others, sometimes even outside of the vessel? What I mean by that? Let me help you. Let me share this. I know we're talking Old Testament tonight. Just for a moment, let me, I, I don't want to contradict all that we've said tonight, but if, if you study church history, particularly in the Pentecostal holiness charismatic narrative, if you look at church history, some of the greatest revivalists, some of the greatest apostles, prophets, I'm talking church history now, so we're looking more so, let's say from the Pentecostal era, let's say from the 1900s till now. When you look at A.A. A. Allen, when you look at Amy McPherson, when you look at Catherine Kuhlman, I could take it as far as Oral Roberts. You could, you could make a strong argument for a lot of men and women who were prophetically used, miraculously used. I'm talking about phenomenally used. They all had some tremendous dark sides. Some struggle with alcohol. Some struggle with other areas of their flesh. But one of the common denominators and, I, and I, I'm not saying this in a condescending. I'm certainly not trying to expose. I've got a book by Robert Lairdon called God's Generals. And it, 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 it chronicles some of the more dark sides of some, some of the quote-unquote faith healers of our time. I need to go find that book off the shelf. I got it on the shelf somewhere at home. And even Robert Lairdon himself fell into some tremendous degradation of issues in his life. What was it about their lifestyle of the prophetic, the apostolic, the, the miraculous, the, the phenomenal that attracted the darkness. And how could these things legitimately happen in the name of the Lord 
even despite their failure. I wonder tonight, could this have been something very symbolic or very identical with how the Holy Spirit moved in the Old Testament? I don't want to stretch too far tonight, but the objective of why I'm saying this is, is important. Sometimes we wonder, how is it that a man can sing so good, or a woman can be so gifted, but yet have such huge problems in their lives? The Bible says that the gifts and the callings are without repentance. Where does that come from? Where would we get that theory from? Could it be that in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, that the Holy Spirit was not relational. What I mean by that is this. Oftentimes, the Holy Spirit's indwelling in the life of a person had no evident relationship to the person's spiritual condition. Okay? In the Old Testament, it was clearly seen as an open and shut case. In the New Testament, even in our day and time, those giftings can get a man or woman into the door, but it won't keep them there long. I think that's the difference. I think that a man or woman can be used powerfully in the Lord today, and it starts really, really well, but it won't keep them for long. Whereas in the Old Testament, there was already an expectation that this Holy Spirit wasn't relational, nor was a resident. So it would be to our caution, hear me tonight, it would be to our warning to learn a lesson from the Old Testament. There was expectation in the Old Testament that he moved on assignments, he moved on tasks, he moved specifically. But in the New Testament, don't think for long that you can, you can continue forever because this ain't the Old Testament. Here it is in the New Testament. We see, chronic, we, we, we see clearly chronicled what will happen if we don't embrace the Holy Spirit. I've gone a long way to make, to make a, a short point. The truth of the matter is, is, number one, he indwelt in some people, but not everybody in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, anyone who wants him can have him who's saved. In the Old Testament... There was no relationship par with the activity on that person's life. In the New Testament, you'll have to have the Holy Spirit to continue on in miracles, to continue on in healing, to continue on in his gifts. Everybody okay so far? All right. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit's indwelling was temporary. 1 Samuel chapter 10, write it down. 1 Samuel chapter 10. The Spirit of the Lord will come upon you in power, and you will prophesy with them, and you will be changed into a different person. Once these signs are fulfilled, do whatever your hand findeth to do, for God is with you. Who said that? God told Samuel to tell Saul that. We know how Saul in, ended up, right? 1 Samuel 16, 14. Now the Spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, and an evil spirit came, watch this, from the Lord to torment him. So this evil spirit didn't come from the devil. Even God sent an evil spirit to overcome the good spirit that was in Saul. All right? So again, the Holy Spirit's indwelling was temporary. The Holy Spirit's indwelling was temporary. Now, tonight, what I'd like to do is this. We've talked about some of the negatives, all right, or the, 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 the not-so-good observations in the Old Testament about the Holy Spirit. I want to give you two tonight. I have, actually have five, but time will only permit for me to give you two. I really have five principles or, or five uh, uh, dimensions of existence of the Holy Spirit, but tonight, for the sake of time, I'll give you two. Turn with me, and speaking of Job, let's go back to the book of Job, or let's go to the book of Job, uh, verse 32. Uh, there are two tonight, two characteristics or two existent works of the Holy Spirit found in the Old Testament. Number one, the Holy Spirit will always empower God's people with gifts and abilities. I want to show you that. Let's go to Job chapter 32, all right? Job chapter 32. 
and I'll give you some time to get there. I, I understand, once again, we don't often go to Joe, but uh, th- uh, you should make Joe part of your day or, or part of your re- regimen and your Bible study. Job, Old Testament, chapter 32, and we're going to start at verse 8. All right? Once again, Job 32 and verse 8. But there is a spirit in man, and the breath of the Almighty gives him understanding. Great men are not always wise, nor do the age always understand justice. So that kills that theory, the older you get, the wiser you get. That's not necessarily true. There's some old fools, just as there are are young fools, all right? (laughs) Uh, But notice what the Bible says. But there is a spirit. Job saw something. There is a spirit in man, and the breath of the Almighty gives him understanding. Sounds to me very similar to Genesis 2 and 7. You can be a man, but if without the breath of God in you, there's no spirit. And if there's no spirit, obviously here there's no understanding. Why? Because great men don't, aren't always wise, nor do the age always understand justice. But when the spirit of God, when the Holy Spirit comes on a man, it, God will always empower his people with gifts and abilities. So, so, so how do we translate that tonight? If God in the Old Testament... Hear me tonight. Please hear me. If God in the Old Testament will give you gifts and abilities to the Holy Spirit, then why won't he do it now? Point in case, Daniel. Go to Daniel. Daniel chapter 5. I'm about halfway finished tonight. Won't be long tonight, but I want to show you this. Go to Daniel chapter 5. Old Testament. Just keep moving towards the New Testament. You'll find the book of Daniel right, be- right in the Minor Prophets, all right? Daniel Chapter 5, I'm going to read a couple of verses of Scripture. Now, these verses should be familiar to some of you all, but if not, you're going to know them tonight. Daniel chapter 5, and let's start at verse 11. Daniel, in fact, let me give you the background real quick. Uh, Belshazzar, the king, he's having a fit, all right? He's, he's, he's nervous. He's got anxiety disorder. He's, he's insecure. Uh, he's got conspiracy theory. He's on A's. But the queen says, you know what? There's a young man from Israel here. And he ain't like everybody else. This boy is a bad boy. Let me tell you right now, he's got all type of wisdom. He can interpret dreams. I mean, he got it going on. And you know what? If you want some help, you may want to go get this young Israelite kid named Daniel. In fact, let's pick it up at verse 11. There is a man in your kingdom of whom the, here we go, capital S, the Holy Spirit of God. And in the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in this man. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father and king, made him chief of the musicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers. Now, that right there is a mouthful. Ain't that something? Isn't that something? God took a man of God, put him of all of the palm readers, all of the tarot card readers, all of the witch doctors, all of the superstitions, all of the the, uh, palm readers and the astrologers. And, I mean, think about it. God took a man of God and said, you got more giftings and grace than all of these secular so-called wisards. Let's keep reading verse 12. In so much as an excellent spirit. That's what the Holy Spirit will do for you and I tonight. He'll give you an excellent spirit. An excellent spirit, that is knowledge, understanding, interpreting of dreams, solving riddles, and explaining enigmas were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he'll give the interpretation. Let's stop right there just for a moment. Now, let's bring this into context. Again, the Holy Spirit will empower you with gifts and abilities. You need to see this tonight. No matter your company you work for, 
He wants to empower you to be the very best in your company. Where were we, Pastor Sharon? We were in a setting recently where someone said, he who answers problems gets paid. I don't forget what setting we were in. I don't know if we were in a men's meeting or we were at a pastor's read or I don't know. Oh, I think we're in Houston, Texas. That's where it was. He who solves problems gets paid. Anybody need to raise on their job? I said, anybody need to raise on their job? Nobody needs to raise here? I'd I, I like to have, you know, eventually. But anybody need to raise? Solve problem. Solve problem. It can't be any more simpler than that. It can't be any more direct than that. Learn to solve problems, make your company better, and money will find you. We see it happening with Daniel. He's not just a good-looking guy. He's just not articulate and intelligent. But the Bible says that there's an excellent spirit upon him. Wow. There's an excellent, in other words, he was on time. I told my son the other day, listen, let's act like we're in the military. Uh, when you get there on time, you're late. If you get there ahead of time, you're on time. I want you to act like that when you get to school next semester. There should be an excellent spirit on the lives of God's people. We don't steal no paper. We don't steal no pens. We're not pocketing no, no, no paper clips, all right? We're not coming in late, leaving early, and getting mad when, when our paycheck aren't what they ought to be. Uh, we're going to look for the opportunity to be in meetings and, and, and be at the table and make good decisions and, and work hard because an excellent spirit was upon Daniel. And here's how we know. Because he had all knowledge, understanding, he interpreted dreams, and he even solved riddles. And I don't think they're talking about riddles in someone's uh, crossword puzzle book, but whatever the problems of that corporation were, Daniel had a spirit of the Holy Ghost upon him, and the Holy Spirit must have spoke things to him that common knowledge wasn't going to give him. Now, I know that's a far stretch for some of you tonight, but I dare you to ask the Holy Spirit to help you on your job. I dare you to ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, help me to be at the right place at the right time. In fact, give me exactly what needs to be said in this particular situation. Now, you're not saying amen because that's a far stretch of faith for some of you all. But I dare you to ask the Holy Spirit to give you a spirit of excellence for your job. Why? Number one, he empowers God's people with gifts and abilities. Let's go down to verse 14. I have heard of you, Daniel, that the Spirit of God is in you. And that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now, there's not a man or woman in this room tonight that your employer wouldn't come to you and say those exact words, and you don't have blessings galore uh, in front of your life. You should be your company's greatest asset. Whew. I kind of feel like I'm preaching over your heads tonight, and I don't want to preach over your heads. I want you to take this home tonight and go to work tomorrow with a greater degree of confidence. If everybody get laid off on your floor, they got to find a way to keep you somehow. You should be your company's greatest asset. Not a liability, but an asset. All right? You may not move the whole corporation, just move your department. You don't have to move the whole department, just move your particular floor. You may not move the whole floor, but just be the head and move your team. You have to start somewhere. You have an advantage with the Holy Spirit. And, 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 I mean, come on, talk to me. Am I hustling? Do you feel hustled tonight? I mean, do you feel like I'm giving you a bag of goods that, that, that you can't carry nowhere? I believe in this. I believe I could go tonight and get a corporate job and allow the Holy Spirit to take me to the top. Now, I won't be able to showboat that in the team meetings, and I won't be able to brag about the Holy Ghost in front of the CEO, but in my heart of hearts, 
There's something different. Did not the Bible say that he had a different, oh, excuse me, that was Joshua and Caleb. But even Joshua and Caleb, the Holy Spirit came upon them. And what did, the, what did Moses say? They had a different spirit. There might be 25 people on your team, but this is something different about you. There's light, there's wisdom, there's understanding, uh, you, there's earth ethics, there's, there's, there's values. Why? The Holy Spirit came upon you. Everybody okay? Number two, number two. The Holy Spirit looked to the future Messiah of the New Testament. Remember now, the Old Testament concealed what the New Testament would reveal. I think that one of the last jobs of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament was to paint a picture and to point a finger to the New Testament. Isaiah 61, and I'm almost finished. Isaiah 61. Let's go to Isaiah 61 tonight. We know that the Holy Spirit empowers us, and if you get nothing else out of this message tonight, take him to your job. Do what Daniel did. Your gift will make room for you and bring you before great men and great women. I believe tonight that if you fully function in the gift of the Holy Spirit, you have no choice but to have your steps ordered by the Lord. Okay? Now, again, this may not sound practical. It may not sound uh, 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 secular. But we are not of this world. I do believe with all my heart that he gives you an advantage. And you won't be able to brag about him because the world doesn't understand him because the world isn't looking for him. But you, my friend, you have a helper. He wants to help you succeed in everyday life. I'm trying to deprogram this thought and this myth that the Holy Spirit is only about spiritual things and, and, and sensational emotional things on Sundays. You have to employ him 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Okay, Isaiah 61, real quick. Isaiah 61. Now, again, the Holy Spirit empowers God's people with gifts and abilities. Number two, the Holy Spirit looked to the future Messiah of the New Testament. If you have Isaiah 61, verse 1 reads this, and we come out of the gate with this. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Let's stop right there. What did Isaiah see here? What was Isaiah saying? The prophet realizes this. The end of an era is soon to a close. We won't always be in this Old Testament dispensation of time. We won't always be under the law of Moses. We won't always be subject to the prophets, whether they be major prophets or minor prophets. In fact, John, let me see, I'm sorry, in the book of Luke, the Bible says that the prophets and the law were with Moses, right? But the kingdom came through Jesus. There's about to be a transitioning, a transformation from the old to the new. We've got the concealing of the Old Testament, but now we're about to see revealing. Isaiah 61, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. How do I know? Keep reading. Because the Lord has anointed me. And here's what he's anointed me to do. Number one, to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. He has sent me to the opening of the prisons of those that are bound. He has sent me to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. I want to stop there, but I can't. Let's keep reading. The day of vengeance of our God, uh-oh, watch this, to comfort all who mourn. Sounds like the Holy Ghost to me. To console those who mourn, even in the church. Sounds like the Holy Ghost to me. To give them beauty for their ashes, the oil of joy for their mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. Now, let's stop right there. Let's, stop. let's take a pause break, okay? Let's take a pause break, because here's what you're about to find out. 
The same job that the Holy Spirit had in Isaiah 61 is the same job you and I have right now. We call it the anointing. We are anointed of God, people of God. We are anointed not just to be, but to become. We're anointed more than songs and dance and shouting and hollering on Sundays. But here is a great job description of how God's children should act. And you know what? It looks a whole lot like what the Holy Spirit does, nine to, uh, excuse me, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, to, to help those who are in mourning, to comfort those who are mourning, to help those in the church, to, to preach, to, to proclaim, to be sent, because the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. So now we see in Isaiah 61 tonight, the Holy Spirit looks to the future Messiah. Now, prophetically, who do we see here tonight? We see Jesus. We see Jesus pick up the same verse of Scripture. I believe it's Luke chapter 4, when the Bible said that the Spirit of the Lord has come upon me. Where did Jesus get this from? He got it from Isaiah 61. Because the same Holy Spirit that was in Jesus in the New Testament is the same Holy Spirit that Isaiah saw in the Old Testament. Once again, in the Old Testament, whatever was concealed from the ages of time has now become revealed. What does it have to do with me and you tonight? When the Holy Spirit speaks to the future, he should show even you what your life can be like. You've gone through some mourning, not a problem. He can exchange the garment of heaviness for garment of praise. You've gone through some tough times, not a problem. He's come to give more, or he's come to comfort those who mourn. Well, I'm a church person. Keep reading the Bible. To console those who mourn in Zion. Anytime you see the word Zion, let that be a substitute for the word church. So even those who mourn in the church, the Holy Spirit comes to help you in dealing with difficult problems dealing with tough times, dealing with heaviness, bitterness, unforgiveness, things that we find ourselves wrapped up in, even in the church. Holy Spirit will speak. Where were we this past week? I think it was in our leadership meeting. We talked about the, the, the danger of unforgiveness, the pain of bitterness, going on and on and on without releasing people who've harmed us. I don't know but one agent that can bring clarity to that, and that's the Holy Spirit. I don't know if there's a preacher an evangelist, a prophet, a missionary, only the Holy Spirit can penetrate. I mean, come on, talk to me tonight. Only the Holy Spirit can separate joint from marrow. I mean, get to the nitty-gritty of your soul and speak to you about picking that phone up and getting it right, about making that visit and getting it reconciled, about seeing that person and being restored. More than a pastor, more than a reverend, more than a missionary, more than an evangelist, the Holy Spirit comes to point to your future for a better life. Now again, if we see these characteristics in the Old Testament, which was concealed temporarily, how much more does he want to reveal his promises, reveal his power, reveal his plans to you and I, the child of God? He comes to empower you for everyday living. He comes to point to a very glorious future, as he did with the Messiah in Isaiah 61, so shall he do with you. For the Holy Spirit comes to help you. He comes to guide. He comes to lead. He comes to comfort. He comes to console. Let's get him out of the rafters of theological talk. Let's put him on the playing field in everyday life. I think tonight it's important that we allow the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts about unforgiveness. There's not a man or the woman, on, there's not a man nor a woman on the earth that will be more persistent, more relevant, more in place. 
to remind you than the Holy Spirit. The Bible says he comes to convict the world of sin, convict the world of righteousness, convict the world of judgment. Somewhere between sin, righteousness, and judgment, we need the Holy Spirit to help us. If not, we are a runaway locomotive with the wheels falling off. But when the Holy Spirit comes, he comes to help you. He comes to guide. He comes to comfort. Let's stand to our feet tonight. In the Old Testament, he empowers God's people with gifts and abilities. In the Old Testament, he looked to the future Messiah that we'd have in the New Testament. And my friends tonight, we need even the more the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I, I was writing this morning. I spent a couple of hours this morning writing, finishing up chapter 4 of this next book, dealing with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I'm not sure one can fully operate and function in the Holy Spirit if they don't know the roles and the responsibilities of the Holy Spirit. I hate to make it sound almost like a jigsaw puzzle with so many moving parts, but we don't, ha we don't have but one shot to get this right. And you would think that in this Pentecostal holiness narrative or tradition that, most of our, that many of us were brought up in, you'd think we'd have it all, all together, all figured out. But I'm finding out this is a lifetime journey. And right when you think you've arrived, guess what? You find out the car's on E. And when the car's on E, means we got to stop. Now, some of you all are too young to remember this, but we used to call them filling stations. <laughs> I believe there's some churches called the Filling Station Church of God in Christ. We, we, we put all type of names on our churches, believe it or not. But stop by the filling station so you can get filled again with the Holy Ghost. I understand the theory, and I appreciate that theory. Because a little agitation, a little jarring, a little disappointment can put that car on E. And we stop by that filling station to be filled again. This is what I love about our type of church. You can come on any given Sunday, any given Thursday. These encounter retreats, I believe even in our small group meetings, I can't wait in the new building to have shut-ins on Friday nights, and you can go home when you're ready to go home. I was talking to Sister Jocelyn. I don't know if she's here tonight. She was asking what, what, what will be our prayer and accessory needs for the new building. I said, yeah. I, I, I cannot imagine going into this new building without spending a few days of just nothing but prayer. And what I envision is, is prayer around the clock. I'd like to see the first 72 hours. Just someone do the first two hours, and you pass the time to the next two hours, and the next two hours, and may it be recorded in the history of time that the first 72 hours after closing, man, we prayed, and we have some things to pray for. We want to pray out some things. We want to pray in some things. But may it be known that the Holy Spirit will be fully functioning in this house, the house of the Lord. Amen. I want to close with this last thought. And I have to It was a statement that we shared 
20, 22, maybe 23 years ago, maybe even longer than that. I remember the late Robert Richard Carr passed away about two years ago. He was one of our favorite speakers uh, back in the day when I was in college. He said that the world has yet to see a man or a woman who's totally surrendered to the will of God. All of the great things we think we've seen on TBN and Word Channel and magazines and books and medias, the world has yet to see what can happen when a man or woman of God fully submit. And I said, God, maybe in our lifetime, maybe here in Charlotte, we'll have that, that opportunity to see God use one of you who totally surrenders to his will and, and, and totally is filled. I believe the same God of the days of Daniel are yet the, is the same God of today. And he wants to take a young man in this room, a young woman in this room, and feel with such a spirit of excellence. And that's not necessarily equated to perfection. It's a different word. But when you're excellent, you bring God out of everything you do. And we don't know what to do with you. You're, you're an anomaly. You're head and shoulders above everyone else by the grace of God. That person will have no debt. That person will be used in all type of settings, political, business, ministry, missions, medical, you name it. That man and woman will be used greatly by the, by the grace of God. My encouragement is that every one of you tonight, somehow or another, you go and you employ the Holy Spirit in your life. He has to be that person. Not next week, not next year, but like yesterday. I want you to take him home. I want you to talk to him. Let him talk to you. I don't care how crazy it looks, how unorthodox it sounds, how, how super deep, super spiritual you may appear. Doesn't matter. Talk with him. Get into the habit and the practice of talking to the Holy Spirit. Get into the habit and the practice of listening from the Holy Spirit. You too solve problems and solve riddles and interpret dreams and, and do great exploits. Greater works that ye do. Jesus said, because I'm going back to the Father, but I will send you a comforter. I'll send you the helper. I'll be inside of you through the Holy Spirit. I believe he makes the difference. Heads about and eyes are closed. Heads about, eyes are closed. Father, tonight, thank you for the Holy Spirit. I know that he comes to help men and women fulfill their assignment on the earth. I know tonight, as we see in the book of Job, the book of Daniel, even with the life of Samson, Joshua, even with Rahab, the spy. There were times in the Old Testament that the Holy Spirit came upon a person, moved. But God, in this dispensation of time, Old New Testament moving forward, he becomes resident. He becomes even the more real and permanent. May we walk in the power, the presence, and the purpose of the Holy Spirit. May we practice. May we perform. May we produce as the Holy Spirit would give us guidance and counsel and comfort. Tonight, may we domesticate him into our everyday living. May we speak with him and speak to him. May we listen from him and listen with him. For the Bible clearly says that he won't speak of his own, but he'll only speak that which you, the Father, would give him. May he become that person in our lives, closer than any human relationship on the earth. And may we see that advantage in the name of Jesus. We thank you tonight. And the church said amen. And the church said amen.
I'd like for you to get in small groups for the next 90 seconds. Take three minutes. Take three minutes. And I, oh, I'm sorry, that's 90, 90 seconds. Take a minute and a half, all right? Take a minute and a half. And would you form a small group tonight? Act like you're in your city life group somewhere in Huntersville or Rock Hill or Cabarrus County, Lincoln County. Fine. Just act like you're in your small group tonight. You're at Starbucks. Someone's at Panera Bread. Someone's in someone's living room. Get about four or five people together. And I want you to spend a good minute and a half. Would you share with your small group what you've learned tonight? Something that that, that leaped off the Bible to you tonight, something that you could take home, something that you can put into practice. Come on, you got 90 seconds. Let's go.